It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Record Celtic Podcast. I'm Liam Bryce and today I'm joined, unfortunately for the final time, by Tony Haggerty. Yes. Uh, on the pod today, uh, we dissect Celtic's demolition of Ross County as they retook top spot in the Premiership and we speak to Italian football expert Alistair McKenzie to get the lowdown on Lazio. Um, so as I said there, Tony... One last time. One last time, yes, indeed. So just say, you, is it 20, 20 years? 20 years, record, yes, 20 years at the daily record. I, I am indeed, yes, but uh, onwards and upwards, as, as they say. The new. Yes. Um, so as well, we'll just start off this week. Um, Celtic 6-0 win over Ross County at the weekend. Neil Lennon said it might be the most complete performance he's seen from a Celtic side in his two spells as manager. Um, do you think he's quite spot on with that? I think if you there was a, a moment on sports scene if you saw the edited highlights where they said they had twenty one shots on target in in the first half, you know they just swamped Ross County from the get go. But I think Celtic were champing at the bit after spilling five points in the two games previous. So it didn't matter who they were playing. That was always they talk about a backlash. Ross County felt the force of a Celtic backlash on Saturday and some of their moves were irresistible. There was one, in fact, that he didn't score when McGregor hit the post, which yeah, was a right. cracking sweeping move down the park, you know. But, uh, yeah, they were, they were just clinical on Saturday and, you know, they, they should have and probably could have scored more, you know. But 6 uh, nothing's not to be sniffed at, Did anybody in particular stand out? Because I, Jeremy Frimpong got a lot of... Uh, he got a lot of credit. It was probably arguably a surprise inclusion in the, the starting 11. So there was already, a, I suppose, a wee bit of attention on him anyway. And he did impress against, against Partick yes, in the Betfred right. Cup. But he really, really shone at the weekend. He was terrific at the weekend. And the goal he set up for Forrest was, was tremendous. You no know, wing play, a wing back play, you know. And he, he's endeared himself to the Celtic supporters. You know, you saw what it meant to him. He was mm-hmm. he was celebrating as if he'd scored it himself. Yeah. But he just wants to make a good impression. And, and he's certainly done that. And I think the Celtic supporters would like to see him get a wee extended run in the team because he seems to be one of those guys who could develop into a cult personality quite quickly at Celtic. And also as well, Elianusi is now starting to you know, contribute, you know, off the mark against Cluj in the last game. and But you're now starting to see him and in, in the quality that he has and the reason why uh, Southampton shelled out 16 million quid for him, you know. So you have to say uh, he's starting to look the part, you know, and contributing with goals now. And I think that helps uh, relax a player and settle a player. And he now looks happy in his new surroundings, you yeah. know, and, and he can maybe take it on to the next level, you know. Because he was a guy, I suppose, he's, you know, he's coming off what was you know it was a pretty disappointing season for him at Southampton so yeah. I suppose it maybe would have been a, even though you know there's talk of how much Southampton paid for him but maybe still it would have been a bit unreasonable expect him to just hit the ground run when of he's course. not played a lot of football his confidence was maybe a wee bit mm. brittle and he's coming into another another new environment that he's had to adjust to 
but see when you can pick up a guy like that I mean he's clearly got ability and Celtic know that because he played against him for Molda didn't he in, in Europe he did and scored, scored against him yeah. you know so Celtic know about his qualities you know and all you have to do is put arms around these guys these guys are confidence players you know so if they're lacking in confidence then they're not going to produce for you but see if you bring them into an environment where you're you're taught to win every week. You're, the demands placed on you. Football players like that, and you're told you're an important player, and you build them up, and you build them up, and then playing in front of fifty, sixty thousand also helps as well. You know, you get that adulation, <laughs> you, and that, it feels yeah, good. You know, uh-huh. you, you feel important, and you feel wanted and loved. And it wouldn't surprise me if Elianusi was calling for to extend the deal. You know, at, at the end of his loan spell, it depends how Southampton want to play that. You know, but I would imagine they would want a sizable chunk of their money back if he was to go on a permanent transfer but, losses but they might yeah. actually let them uh, extend the deal you know a year and a half or another year or whatever in the same way Manchester City did with Paddy Roberts and guys like that yeah I mean he's maybe one of those I think possibly one of those players where that season at Southampton maybe wasn't really an indication of what he's all about because oh. he's, he's 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 gone into a side who were kind of struggling a wee bit and of course now he's at Celtic where much more kind of on the front foot more room to express yeah. himself in it that it seems to be that's where his strengths lie you can be your natural talent and your natural habitat you know Neil Lennon's asking him to score goals provide goals that's what he wants at Southampton might have been hit on the break you know you might get one chance a game or one ball out wide a game and, and you're asked to do you know you're up against real quality opposition in the English Premier League and I'm not saying he's up against not up against quality in the Scottish Premiership, but it's a different mentality, it's yeah. a different mindset. You know, you're, you're not playing survival football for Celtic, you're playing a winning type of football, or you're trying to, certainly, whereas Southampton sometimes it's survival, it's eking a draw out here and there, trying to get three points at home or whatever, you know, and some players that just doesn't suit them. You know, they want to go out and express themselves, and uh, creative players like that sometimes are reined in. If you're playing for an English Premier League side who's struggling, you know, they say to them, no, don't do that and don't do that. Whereas at Celtic, he's probably been given a free rein. Lean Lens said, go and express yourself, go and do what, you're natu- what you naturally want to do as a footballer, and, and, and that can only help. Yeah. I think as well, this this result, there's so much to take from you know, that result and performance. But do you think what's maybe especially pleasing for Neil Lennon is the kind of variety of goal scorers as well? Yeah. Um, so you had Edwards, El Yunusi, McGregor. And Forrest, there's guys chipping in. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got Ryan Christie to come back in as well. You've got, you know, Tom Rogic was back in the team, my old friend mm-hmm. Tom Rogic, you know <laughs> what I mean? But, you know, so there, there's there's real positives going forward. There, there is goals in that Celtic team. You know, there's threats. You know, there's danger from every area of the park. You know, Ball and Golly loves to get forward. Frimpong was getting forward. You know, so there's, there's threats all over the place. And, you know, the, the, it was just a manner the way Celtic went about that game on Saturday. They set about Ross County, you know. You did feel for them because it was just wave after wave of attack. Mm-hmm. It was a team with hell-bent with a point to prove to go back to the top of the league and say to Rangers, back to you. And then, obviously, Celtic are now totally goal difference, albeit. But, you know, there was a wee statement sent out there by Celtic saying, well, go and match that. Go to Tynecastle and win. Mm-hmm. You know, they asked the question. Yeah. And the hallmark of Celtic teams in the past few years, especially the last three years, has been, if the question was asked of Celtic and a role reversal, Celtic would have went to Tynecastle and won. Yeah, and that has been the difference, really. And that's been it? the main difference. You know, there's still a fragility there about Rangers, you know, and Celtic can take confidence from that. 
moving forward. They've already been to Ibrox and won, and, and won well. So they're probably thinking, OK, every team has a blip, and Celtic had a two-game blip, two in the bounce, very unlike them. But they've got their heads together again, and they've probably spoken about it. I think Julianne said that they, they had a talk about that, and mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't going to happen again, and that remains to be seen. But... You know, they've certainly come up, come out the traps after the international break, you know, and firing on all cylinders and making sure that the, there was no lingering hangover from the last two results, you know. And, and as, as Neil Lennon said, if, if he's saying that's the most complete performance from a Celtic team from before, when he's first spelled and he's spelled just now, then that's quite a statement to make from the manager, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, you know, it's hard to argue. It is. No, I, I, I totally agree. Um, and the fact that as well I mean it must be said Lenny Lennon he touched on this rather than making a big issue out of it um, but the fact that he mentioned there was only one minute added on yeah. at the very end is it maybe uh, you know I mean it's still it's October do you know what I mean so but it's very early days yet but is it maybe an indication that he you know he feels that the, the amount of goals scored title, could have a say yeah the title could go to the wire on goal difference you know Celtic lost the title in 2003 on goal difference, didn't they? Mm-hmm. You know, when they went to Kilmarnock and Rangers uh, were at home to Dunfermline, lost it by, I think it was a goal, wasn't it? I'll need to I, dig I, it out of there. I, so. I, I, I believe it was a goal, yeah. you know. So, you know, in the way the two of them are playing at the moment, they are swatting teams aside. Especially at you home. Know, yeah, at home they're quite formidable, the pair of them. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, these things can add up at the end of a season. So, yeah, I get that. You know, he he at least wanted three minutes, maybe four. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seven's obviously better than six. And he obviously felt the way they were playing, they could have scored a seventh, you know, and, and take stretch that goal difference further. So, yeah, the, these are all these are all variables that could come into play come the end of the season. And he's quite right to ask a question, but the referee probably felt some sympathy for Ross County and thought they took enough punishment, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. So, but because yeah. you do find that happens, don't you? Yeah, it's the game's done and dusted. No matter how much injury time should be added on, the referee tends to. It's usually a statutory three, isn't it? You yeah, know? the U tends to put teams out of their misery a bit yeah. earlier. But but do you agree with that? Do you do you agree that it should? They should I think I agree that the, the law? Uh, yeah, I agree that the injury time is the injury time. So if they both made three substitutions, then surely that constitutes thirty seconds a sub which would be three minutes, wouldn't it? So mm-hmm. uh, regardless if a team's getting pulverised, you know, it's if that's the letter of the law, then there, there should be more injury time. In. And it is a moot point, but it's still a point all the same. Yeah. You know, because if you score, there's a lot of teams score two goals in injury time, you know, things like that. So Celtic scored four within five minutes of the second half commencing on on, on Sunday. Yeah. I believe or four within ten minutes. Ten it was, yeah. You know, so... You know, these things, as I see, these things can add up. And he was making his point certainly. Didn't he make a big deal about yeah, it? Yeah, he's entitled to ask the question. Yeah, of course he is, it? yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't blame him for that. No. Um, and we couldn't we couldn't let you sign off on the podcast without uh, having a discussion about your old pal Tom Rogic. He was, ba- <laughs> he was back in the, the starting 11 at the weekend. Yeah. Um, but where do you... Uh, see his kind of long-term place at the club because it seems, you know, Ryan Christie has occupied that role um, and he, he he brings something that, you know, I kind of find is, that's been so important to how Lennon Celtic have played yeah. with his energy. Um, well, not, I mean, first and foremost, his quality on the ball yeah. and his, his talent, you don't want to overlook that, but he does bring this, 
this real sort of menace off the ball as well the, the pressing the closing down that you maybe you don't get with Tom Rogic see so, for me Ryan Christie's the player Tom Rogic should be which is why I've been on his case for so long because he's capable of so much better than a Celtic jersey the odd magnificent goal has bought him admirers you know but I think he's he, he has the ability to have the full package and I just think my personal opinion is that Tom Rogic has underachieved you know, he scored some cracking goals, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You can compile a DVD of Tom Rogic's greatest hits goals-wise. You can't on his performances, but you could with Ryan Christie because mm-hmm. he's been terrific. He was terrific against uh, RB Leipzig. Leipzig, right? I couldn't remember their name. <laughs> uh, Leipzig last season. You know, he was terrific in the Hearts semi-final at Murrayfield. He's been terrific against Rangers. He's scored a hat-trick, you know. He is doing all the things that your central midfielder should do and the the imposing figure that Tom Rodgick should be Mm -hmm. because he's got the height, he should have the strength, he should have the confidence, he's definitely got the ability. But for some reason, Tom Rodgick's not been that player, so it's no surprise to see Ryan Christie come in. He said, you know what, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And he's now, you ask any Celtic supporter, Christy or Rodgick, it's it's yeah. unanimously uh-huh. in favour of Christy, who this time, nearly a year and a half ago, was heading out the door. You know? So it's been a remarkable <laughs> turnaround and fortunes for both players. Yeah. You know? And, I, and I'm not saying that Tom Rodgick's future lies away from Celtic, because I still think he can contribute, but he has to realise that he's in a fight now. And if he wants to get into that team, then he has, he, he has to knuckle down and start looking at Christie and thinking that's my inspiration mm-hmm. that's my yardstick that's my benchmark uh, but at this moment in time he's not got a chance of dislodging Ryan Christie yeah. from that team or Callum McGregor for that matter I suppose from Neil Lennon's perspective it's a nice it's a beautiful thing to nice have situation. you know to turn around to your bench and say oof there's Tom because Rogic has got those those match winning qualities he can yeah. he can have a fairly indifferent game and yeah. then turn the game Correct. in a split second and that's not something and I'm not disputing his ability I'm, yeah. ta- I'm oh, talking absolutely. about the fact that the whole package but as I've said there I mentioned the word underachieving some people will have a go at me and say well, how could you underachieve he scored this goal that goal and that goal and I get that but as I said constantly name a game where Tom Rodgers took the game by the scruff of the neck he said isolated moments of brilliance which has won games and important matches for Celtic and scored important goals. But I'm talking about a real dominating, domineering performance where you've went man of the match is Tom Rogic. He's got man of the match on the strength of isolated moments of brilliance and skill. And that's, I, I just want him to be a consistent performer. If Tom Rogic was a seven, eight, nine player, you couldn't leave Tom Rogic out of the team. But he's not. He's a guy that can't be trusted to last more than mm. an hour so if that's the case then just now he, he's better being an impact player because he cannot there's no place in the team for him at this minute if if uh, all things being equal and Christie and uh, McGregor and Brown and Forrester are doing their thing that, that's my opinion and I, I, I don't deviate from that mm-hmm. and it's not knocking Tom Rogic because I think he is a he is a talented footballer but maybe not as good as the Celtic fans think he is and he's certainly not as good as Tom Rogic thinks he is <laughs> you know and Christy obviously he was the reason we're assuming perhaps that Rog- Rogic came in at the weekend um, was Christy's suspension 
Um, but we're expecting Christy to be back um, because Celtic have got a massive game coming up on Thursday. So as promised, we are now joined by Alistair McKenzie, all the way from Italy. Alistair's a football journalist who formerly worked in Glasgow and is now based in Rome. A slight change of scenery for him. <laughs> uh, so he's written us an excellent piece on Lazio's up and downs this season so far, which you can read on dailyrecord.co.uk. Um, if you're not up to speed, Lazio came from 3-0 down to rescue a draw in the dying seconds against Atalanta at the weekend. Uh, so Alistair, thanks for joining us, first of all. Um, so obviously you see the team uh, up close week in, week out. So what does that result at the weekend, what does that tell us about Lazio? <laughs> well, I mean, essentially the kind of um, the message of the piece as I wrote for you today was that it pretty much tells you everything you need to know, really. I think that um, for Neil Lennon and, and his staff kind of preparing for this game, trying to get an idea of what they're up against. Um, they got a kind of microcosm of everything within 90 minutes there because they were absolutely abysmal, kind of all the worst possible aspects of, of Lazio as a team came in that first 45 minutes. And then in the second half, they, they're transformed. And, and to be honest with you, it makes absolutely no sense that a team is capable of playing in, in such completely different ways in, in two different halves of a game of football but uh, that's what you get with Lazio they're, they're capable of both things they can capitulate com completely they can blow teams away um, so I'm afraid we just have no idea which one of these teams is going to turn up until the game kicks off on <laughs> Thursday night. So I dare say um, I'm asking a lot of you here, but how you know can you even begin to explain why they're so Jekyll and Hyde, why it's so unpredictable? Well, they've got a lot of very talented players, but um, the the coach Simone Inzaghi has been in charge of the team for about three years now, but he's. Yeah, the one thing he's not quite managed to do is, is get consistency out of this team. Um, there are a few who have been criticised as being kind of fair-weather players, you know, the likes of Luis Alberto and Sergei Milinkovic-Savic, those two midfielders, central midfielders, are two of the best in Serie A on their day, um, but they're not really uh, providing consistently enough, really, um, for a lot of fans. They've they've been a lot better this season, has to be said, than they were last season already. But, uh, yeah, I think the balance is the main issue. Um, one key point to the Atalanta game, really, was that Lazio play a 3-5-2, and they use those two players I just mentioned as kind of attacking midfielders, but in the centre of that kind of five in the middle. And usually it's, it's left up to Lucas Leiva, former Liverpool midfielder I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep. Usually it's left up to up to him to kind of single-handedly um, anchor that midfield and cut out all the counter-attacks and basically do all the dirty work by himself. And he wasn't actually available for that Atalanta game because he was suspended. And you could really tell um, because the, the man who, who stepped in to fill that role isn't a natural in that position. And uh, there was no one there really to, to try and, uh, you know, even the things like kind of a tactical file here and there to try and just cut down a bit of Atalanta's momentum. So he'll be back for the Celtic game. He's, he's, he's due to start in that match as well. And I think that will help. Let's you'll get a bit more of the balance I was talking about. But essentially that's, that's been the issue with this inconsistency is that the balance really of, of the players and how to how to get all these talents on the pitch in a coherent way is, has been the crux really. Mm -hmm. Alistair, can I ask you as well, uh, uh, traditionally the Europa League's not high up 
on Syria side's uh, agenda, you know, and the priorities. Do you get the feeling that it's, it's the same with this Lazio team and they'll, they'll see what happens in the group and if they get out it, then they'll maybe treat the knockout stages a bit more seriously? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's that's exactly right. Um, Lazio's, that's uh, another thing I mentioned in this piece, is there is a general apathy around the club and the fans about this. Uh, the only home game so far against Wren, there are only 8,000 people there, which is, uh, you know, about five times less, sure. four or five times less than what they get for their big Serie A games. Um, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that generally they've they've been in this tournament a lot the last kind of six or seven years. And generally, the group stages haven't caused much of an issue for them. They've they've managed to kind of stroll through with essentially a B team being put out in most of the games. Um, but I think this group's a bit different. Um, last year, had a difficult group last year as well with Frankfurt and Marseille and, and Apple and Limassol as well. Um, but they still managed to get through that group with two games to spare. Um, so I do worry that they're they're kind of taking this one a bit too lightly. Um, the thing is, they've already had a very damaging result by losing a yeah. to Cluj. And it'll be interesting, actually, to see how um, Zaghi goes about his selection for this, this game or the next two games, really, because that'll tell us a lot about how seriously they're going to take it. I think that, to be honest, on Thursday, we still will see a rotated team. There will still be a, a quite a few key players being dropped to the bench um, because they've got a very important run of Serie A games at the moment and and the main objective still is Champions League qualifications through the league so um, I think probably it will be like I say quite rotated team this this week but if they lose this game we might see a bit of a, a change of attitude towards it and as well Alistair just um uh, if you look at uh, Celtic's uh, lineup and then you look at you know you match them up against Lazio, do you think there's is there any particular players in this Celtic side that could hurt Lazio? Yep, yeah, um, I, I think so. Yeah, the the one thing uh, in particular that I think Celtic might have a bit of joy with here is is down the flanks. Um, I mentioned already Lazio play 3-5-2, but the wing-back positions have been a point of weakness for Lazio. And particularly if they um, start with uh, the, a, a left wing-back called Johnny, who um, was signed in the summer, a Spanish guy. He, um, he's been adapting from a, a natural winger role to a wing-back role, and his defensive duties are still being drummed into him. He still looks um, a bit weak in, in that side of his game. I think that Celtic can really cause uh, Lazio some problems uh, down that down that right-hand side. They can also cause them problems on the counter-attack, I think, because in transition, Lazio often get caught out. Like I mentioned before, they quite like to, to field a number of attacking midfielders in this, in this uh, formation to support the strikers. And they do uh, dedicate a lot of numbers to their attacks, but that does leave a lot of opportunity and a lot of space on the counter as well. So, in a way, um, I think Celtic might actually have a bit more joy and can catch out Lazio a bit more, actually playing more as as an away team and and waiting for them to come forward before hitting them on the break. And that's where they can really expose them, I think. Johnny sounds as if he's a Scottish Spaniard, Alistair, you know what I mean? <laughs> Should be playing for the opposition. Yeah. yeah. As, um, as well, you mentioned Lucas is likely to come back into the side, but I think what we're kind of thinking from here is is Ryan Christie will probably come back in for Celtic. Um, 
I don't know, even Tony as well. Do you know? Do you expect? You know, maybe based on how important Alistair said that Lucas is to what Lazio do, is maybe Celtic using Ryan Christie and his running and his energy to really try and knock him off any sort of rhythm? I would have thought so. Celtic played a really high tempo game against Cluj in the last in the last uh, Europa League. Uh, round of fixtures and they'll want to do the same against Lazio but as Alistair said if they're going to rotate the team then Neil Lennon will, will have to take advantage yeah. of that you know, and, I, and, I, and I expect Celtic to do the same and, and they'll want to play Christie because he's suspended domestically but we want to keep him ticking over and that'll be an interesting battle if Lucas does play yeah. you know as Alistair alluded to there then Simone Exaghi might uh, rotate his squad and if they've got a, a a lot of uh, important Serie A fixtures coming up. I mean, you notice it every year. The Italian teams, you know, they just take their chances in the Europa League group stages with shadow teams. And if they get to the knockout phase, then it gets a bit more serious because then they can build it up to playing uh, stiffer opposition the way they get tested in, in Serie A. But they, they, they tend to prioritise Serie A Champions League qualification over anything else, even their domestic cup competition as well the, the Coppa Italia they, they send out shadow teams Alistair will back me up on that as well yeah Alistair as well just taking it back to, to Lazio um, obviously the you know the player quite understandably who's getting a lot of the headlines at the moment is uh, Giro Immobile um, so for maybe for people who have not watched him too often uh, what kind of you know what makes him so good what is what's behind his is it 10 goals he's scored already this season around the, there thereabouts uh, what, right, what's, yeah. what's his sort of main strengths that um, that are uh, that make him quite as effective as he is well, um, he's just, he's a bit of a pain in the arse, to be honest, um, <laughs> for defenders. I mean, he, uh, he's one of these strikers who, he just never stops. He's, he's always wanting the ball. He'll come deep. He'll pull out wide. Um, he's not, uh, he, he's often actually incorrectly kind of typecast as being a kind of number nine who plays on the shoulder, but that's actually not his game at all. He will move around a lot his um, combination play as well with the players that support him and whoever he's playing alongside is often very good he looks to get the ball away kind of with his first touch and open up space he provides an awful lot of assists as well as as the goals he scores he is kind of an all-round striker really and um, his finishing ability is very good. He does, you know, miss a lot of chances as well as scoring a lot. But I mean, the the dangerous sign there is that he always finds himself with a lot of chances. So he's someone that's very hard to to keep track of for the opposition because it's not as simple as just um, you know putting a man marking job on him because your your man will be getting dragged from left to right and up and down the pitch. So. Yeah, he, he really is a handful and um, like you say, yeah, 10 goals already this season, he's, he's, he's in very hot form and when he gets like this, to be honest, he, he's, he's quite hard to stop. But um, the one positive news maybe for, for Celtic is that the uh, this morning anyway, the, the this is Tuesday today, so this morning's training session in Zaghi was actually trying out uh, front two of Felipe Caicedo and Joaquin Correa so there is a chance that Immobile might be benched for this game and, and that they'll only yeah, see him in the that, second half so that's what I was we'll going see. to ask you Alistair do, do you expect him to play and you probably just answered that question if he's doing that then there's every chance that he won't feature a because you've already said they've got important games coming up in their own league yeah I mean it's it is hard to tell. I mean, uh, one thing in Zaghi, funnily enough, was 
criticised last season for by some was that even while he was rotating the team last season for Europa League games, he was keeping certain players in the team for almost all of them, which was Francesco Acerbi, who's Lazio's most important defender, Lucas Leva was one, and then Ciro Immobile was the other. I mean, these three guys were essentially playing in absolutely every game, every opportunity. And that's the other thing about Immobile is he wants to play every game. And uh, there was a bit of a, a mini drama recently in a game against Parma. He got substituted off while Lazio were winning and kicked up a big fuss and threw his arms up in the air. And the whole thing got brushed under the carpet very quickly. But essentially, it was just another sign really of the fact that this guy wants to play football. He wants to score goals and he has that, that hunger that's driving him. So... Um, Felipe Quesado will almost certainly start because he's the one who he'll get rotated in for these games. Um, he's a very different kind of player because he he links up the attack more than being the guy who's on the end of on, of the moves. And he's also very good at drawing in defenders, occupying defenders, winning fouls, these kind of things. So he's a very different kind of player to to Correa and Immobile. So I think we'll have to wait and see until the time. It might be a little bit up to circumstance you know um, mm-hmm. fitness issues and things like that as well so we'll, we'll wait and see but with 10 goals and if your eyes in Immobile will definitely want to play won't he you know and to uh, improve on his tally you know yeah there's, there's no doubt he'll want to play I mean <laughs> this is the thing that Inzaghi, Inzaghi and him have a very close relationship <laughs> you know they've they've been on holiday together and things like that and uh, go out for dinner with their families together and things and Inzaghi himself is, is a don't forget a former striker he, he was a Lazio striker for a long time before he became a coach so I think they kind of understand each other when it comes to these things but uh, uh, yeah sometimes as a coach you just got to put a lid on it and do what's best for the team so yeah <laughs> like I say it's, uh, it's still quite unpredictable at this stage and as well you mentioned earlier um, the fact that there was only around 8,000 fans at the the last Europa League home game and I'm assuming that's you know that's set to be even less with the, the stadium closure um, and you know you speak about this general kind of apathy around the group stage I mean does does all that combined turn what could have possibly I'm not I'm talking about the return fixture here um does that kind of turn what could have possibly been Celtic's most intimidating fixture of the group stage into less of a less of an ask in the, with all those circumstances combined, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there is a very real risk that that game will essentially be like a home game for Celtic. Um, there, there was a match group stage last year. Um, I was at the stadium for it. There was uh, it was when Eintracht Frankfurt came, and it was their first European campaign in years. So their fans are really up for it. They brought a massive support, and the Frankfurt fans outnumbered the Lazio <laughs> fans probably about three to one or something. I mean, it was um, uh-huh. it was a bit embarrassing to be honest from a Lazio perspective. But it just like I say, it, it tells you a lot about. Uh, how the fans view it and you know over here it's kind of 9pm kickoffs on a Thursday and people can't really be bothered quite often to actually go and and watch these games I was hopeful that um, you know Celtic would be a bit different you know because it's uh, a bigger team a more kind of glamorous team with some European history behind them and a bit more of a prestigious fixture and also it has the novelty factor because they've never played each other before in, in a competitive game but um, yeah with, with the curva section shut obviously that'll reduce the crowd it doesn't mean that there there won't be a crowd because there's still 
sections either side of that and above it and also the main tribune and everything so there there should be um you know there there'll, there'll be plenty of opportunity as a big stadium there'll be plenty of yeah. opportunity for a good number of fans to still be at that game so it's really just about how much they want it i think you can expect the celtic supporters on march to go to rome alistair <laughs> yeah. yeah um listen Alistair, thank you very, very much for joining us. Um, as I said, you can read Alistair's piece in depth on Lazio on uh, dailyrecord.co.uk. Uh, so just again, thanks very much for joining us. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks, Alistair. Cheers. That's all from us today, but we'll be back again next midweek to bring you all the latest from Parkhead. Uh, thanks to Tony for joining me and thanks to Tony for all the hours he's given the, the podcast. Uh, Pleasure. Just Pleasure. want to wish him all the best for the future. Um, if you want to subscribe to us, you can get us on Acast and iTunes. You'll get the pod there as soon as it's available and you can also rate us on there as well. Thanks for listening. 